Welcome to Grace Uncut, podcast that talks about social justice and social value and how we can create a more connected and humane society, focusing specifically on criminal justice matters. And today I'm joined by Dan Reynolds, who is a senior consultant at Penal Reform Solutions. Uh, hi, Dan. How you doing? Yeah, good. First time on a podcast, so see how this goes. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, it's um really great to have you here. Um, just to let the listeners know, uh, Dan's joined us since August. He's got a background in prison, and was part of our growth project at prison, leading the growth project kind of internally as the head of rehabilitative culture. So we're going to talk a little bit about something he's really passionate about, which is staff well-being. That penal reform are passionate about. Um, but also talk a little bit about his kind of career in the prison service and what he sees the the main challenges to be. So uh, first question for you, Dan, why did you join the prison service? So seven years ago, uh, I was looking at kind of jobs which were in that field of kind of the criminal justice sector. So I applied for police. I went for the interview stage and missed out at the final hurdle. So someone mentioned to me obviously the prison service could be a good option with that being kind of my interested area had a look applied uh got through all the rad days and got offered the job at uh, a prison which was for the youth custody estate so 15 to 18 year olds so why the interest what sparked your interest in terms of wanting to work within criminal justice I think it's it's a sector where you know a at that time it was seen as a, a career uh, a job kind of for life constant work you can do in every day is very different so although it's it, it on the face of it every day you walk in you unlock a door and then at the end of the day you lock the door and then you leave every day you face with different challenges it's dealing with people there's a lot of people from challenging backgrounds, so their perception of the world is perhaps different. So it's about all those nuances that just make it, you know, a really difficult but enjoyable place to work in. Yeah. And in terms of the staff that you've worked with along the way, um, you've worked with some incredible staff and some I've had the privilege of, of getting to know. What do you think are the challenges that they face currently, would you say, in prison at the moment? The challenges for staff at the minute is the, the obvious ones of staff retention and more increasingly recently, staff recruitment. So for years, yes, retention has been awful, but there was always a steady flow of, of people coming in wanting to join the service, and that seems to have slowed hmm. uh, recently. So why and do you think there's a... Why, why do you think there's problems with retention, firstly? So why do you think people don't stick at it? I think there's there's quite a few things with retention. So A, there is this kind of mentality of, well, we need X amount of staff, so let's just get X amount of people through the door in terms of are they the, the most suitable candidates? Are they perhaps ready for the prison service? Do they understand what the prison service is? Some of them don't, and it's a shock to them. With others, it, it is the type of support that you get is when you join the prison service, as much as some establishments have got it right in terms of supporting the POELT or the NOAAs, depending on which stage your establishment's at at the minute. Some have got really good at supporting them, especially in the first six months to a year, 
explaining what it's really going to be like and the challenges they're going to face and giving that kind of support network to bounce ideas off when they meet those challenges. Whereas others, it's very much, okay, go and you'll either make it and survive and enjoy it or you won't. So when I joined seven years ago, within two weeks, uh, I was working during a domestic period the main shifts went home, the late shifts were left. Uh, we had a quick look round, and I was the most experienced staff member on the landing. So everyone yeah. was asking, everyone was asking me, okay, what do we do? I managed to court, you know, managed to survive, and we all worked together and all got through it. And we got praised by the SO for doing that. But it and by SO, you mean what's, what's an SO? Supervising officer. Okay. Uh, so it would have been very easy for all of us to kind of go, well, forget this, you know, we've been left with no experience or anything, but we got through it together. But there were other people who that would have been a step too far that quick and they would have just left. And you saw people do that who after the first couple of days where, you know, it was difficult, that they decided it wasn't for them. It wasn't what was sold to them mm. in the job application. It's pretty dull, though, like having only had a very little amount of experience there, um, being responsible for that many people, that must that must be daunting for anyone, isn't it? You know, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and it is. And no matter how experienced you get, there, there are certain periods in the day where it's more challenging. Domestics at the time was one of them because there was no incel telephony. Uh and the showers were limited, so you had to try and balance all those factors. Now it's a little bit better in terms of you don't have that argument over phones because they're, they're in cell now, which is a massive improvement. Because as an officer, you had to manage, you know, were, were the phones being used fairly? Did everyone have access to it? And first, at any point, that's challenging, but with no experience on the landing, that can just be an almost impossible task. Mm. And when you mean when you say domestics, what do you mean by domestics? So domestics is where is normally the hour where you know they'll have maybe exercise yard or go in or have their shower or maybe clean their cell or use the phone to speak to their family and friends. Mm. And how did you learn about I guess the rules around prison, uh, around what what people need to do? So people in prison, what's what's required of them? The regime how did you how did you learn that so a lot of it you learn when you get back to the establishment so now certain establishments have shadowing before you go to college and obviously more shadowing when you get back when i started i was meant to have a week-long shadowing that got cut in half due to staffing levels so you you had to learn quick and you only can really learn it in your establishment because every establishment runs the regime differently from literally opening for the first door in the morning will be different from establishment to establishment. What you're doing, depending if you have a lot of men who need medication or if you've got people with different needs and different age groups, they'll all be very different. So you can only learn that when you get back to the establishment. And again, it's just by talking to the experienced staff and trying to figure out, okay, what time do we unlock for this activity, what time do, do we unlock? When's the best time to call the end of it to make sure that it's on time? Mm. Why do you reckon then people are no longer wanting to join the prison service? I think 
for, for, for ages, the, the prison service is recruited at the base level age. So 18, you can only join at 18. And because of how many people were recruited, because of how many people are leaving, a lot of people who wanted to try the prison service have either come in and left or come in and stayed. So you're now trying to catch people who didn't want to join the prison service, but maybe they've decided after the COVID pandemic that it's a safe and stable job, so they'll do it for that. So you're almost re-going over people who weren't interested in the past. I know mm. that they've ran days in job fairs where for two days in the job centre, the only job you could apply for was the prison service. So that's every single person who walked into a job centre for those two days applied for the prison service. But how many of them wanted to apply, how many of them were had that mentality that they wanted to go in and wanted to do it is questionable. Mm. How important do you think it is for a new prison officer to, I guess, want to do the job in terms of, I guess, that rehabilitation kind of focus? So they want to, you know, they want to help people. They want to talk to people. They want to interact with others. They want to maybe, you know, be challenged daily. Well, how important do you think that really is? I think you need to have the mentality. If you are just coming in for a stopgap job or because it was there, you're not going to stay because, it, as you say, that you, you do face challenges hourly. There may be confrontations. You could be assaulted. You could be verbally abused. You've got to want to be there and have the mentality that, you know, if I can just help one person, it was worth it. If your mentality is either I see 10 people, you know, lives turn around in my first year, otherwise I'm gone, then it's likely that you're going to go. Because mm. it's not it's not always visible, is it? We kind of plant no. seeds, don't we, in a way? And these things can take an awful lot of time, particularly if people have, have kind of got a kind of really tough kind of backstory and, and you know, change isn't easy, particularly in a prison environment, I guess. And prison service uh, staff don't get to see that when you mm. go out. The only way you know if they've done okay is they don't come back. But then yeah. they've done okay or they just not come back yet. Yeah, God, that's very true. Why did you stay then? So up until, obviously, when you left, why <laughs> did you stay at the prison service? What was it that kind of kept you there? So I, I stayed I was lucky. I was always I always worked with a very good team. Obviously, there was certain staff who weren't good in that time. But on the whole, I was supported. Uh, the wing which I worked on, we had a good team. Once I got the job, I think I first met you in the November. Once I started in the October, and it was it was a different type of project. A lot of the projects that you see that come into the prison service. They solely focus on the people who are in prison and the staff are kind of just expected to take it, embrace the project and be able to turn it into something that works. I think the difference with the growth project is it focuses on both and normally starts with the staff. So it's kind of how what, what are staff feelings? How has uh, the establishment felt over the last couple of years? What do you think is going wrong what do you think is going well and once you get staff involved and they feel that their voice matters and you engage them when you then give them the project it feels more like theirs and they're more invested and you tend to get better outcomes because they actually feel like they're listened to mm -hmm. 
one thing that the prison service is not always good to is listening to staff and even just to have that initial thing of what do you think about this okay what could be better about this this product this project what could work what do you see working what do you think the challenges will be if staff even have that low level then they will give you more and if you do what the growth project does which is encourage them to come with ideas then it becomes more of their project than anything else and they can make it work and they'll invest in it and it flows down if you can get staff involved and invest in the staff you will naturally get better outcomes for the people in prison because you've recharged the staff mm. staff are quite often burnt out and knackered and feel like this is going to be just another thing that will probably be in there for six months fail and you'll never talk about it again mm. So when it's not, and when they feel that people care about them, they can then pass that down or pass that on to to the people who they're looking after because someone's looked after them. Yeah. We talk about compassion fatigue, don't we? That people are tired and because they're tired, they struggle to be compassionate. And I think, you know, a lot of the time we talk about trauma-informed practice for people in prison, but really not maybe recognising the trauma that, staff have faced particularly in prisons that are really difficult you know whether that's in terms of witnessing violence or having to deal with some really difficult converse, uh, conversations or situations um you know we don't necessarily recognize the impact that has on people i think and what was amazing is when we went to the growth project at hill was that the the staff were just incredible in terms of their engagement you know they really um, was sold to the idea that it was it was important to invest in growth. They were ready for that. That readiness was there, wasn't it? And it was just a really lovely, uh, lovely energy. And, you know, you've still got some incredibly fantastic people working at Huel and, and doing wonderful things. And I think uh, that's got a lot. There's lots of factors to that, isn't there? Whether that's around yeah. the leadership or whether that's around their own skills and talents or or even the, the, growth, the growth team that were, you know, the residents essentially there's lots and lots of factors around it um but it was just lovely to see a group of people that had hope in it and pushed it you know they pushed it at a time when we when pretty much covid kicked in didn't it and uh it was a really difficult difficult time so so in terms of all the stuff that we've done with staff over the last kind of two well 18 months really we've been in so we're kind of halfway through a kind of cultural change project what do you feel has been the most effective things that we've done i think we've like the relationship training i think that was something that was different uh it's a different way of looking at relationships and how you need to build those connections and stay within that professional boundaries but just being distant with people will put you in harm's way i think that was quite a an effective way of looking at how you need to build relationships and establishments to a get the best outcomes for everybody yourself that the men everybody but also what's the risk of just turning up and being the officer nobody knows mm. and I think that that was really empowering mm. yeah I really enjoyed doing the relationship training and we touched on vulnerability as well didn't we so a group of staff wanted to do some work around staff vulnerability and this kind of stereotype essentially that by being vulnerable in prison you are weak in some kind of way and we did a video with the growth teams of the residents and with the staff and it yeah. was just interesting that the same thing came out wasn't it that vulnerability is weak and 
and we can't talk about the things that are really you know we're really struggling with and uh yeah it was a uh, it was a really powerful set of videos and I think just getting people to talk about the stuff that they do find difficult is part of it isn't it you know we everyone's got fears when it comes to prison and it's just about you know how we can support one another and just knowing someone else is experiencing that I think helps a lot you know whether you feel that you're not fitting in or you feel that you're isolated in some kind of way it can be a, I imagine quite a lonely job if you haven't got those those relationships with your team and and you're struggling with with some of the kind of challenges of the work yeah, um, and it shows that the environment kind of creates that for both sides mm -hmm. that's where you see the, the 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 human on both sides both are struggling both kind of have that kind of toxic masculinity towards vulnerability and you do see people uh, pull away. You do see staff who their way of coping is to kind of not engage with anybody and not communicate. And some staff struggle with uh, the environment and are looking for a way out. And so don't really have those relationships with the staff, don't really know how to form those relationships with the people in their care and it just leaves them very vulnerable to lots of things, A, their safety, B, corruption. And yeah, we, we see that, that can happen if people aren't engaged and feel just left out in the cold. Mm. Absolutely. So a question is, my next question is, if you could give any advice to prisons at the moment around staff, whether that's around wellbeing or retention or recruitment, what advice um, would you give? I think... Straight off the bat, you've got to have uh, people in post, whether it's SOs or CMs, who support new staff coming in so that they have that kind of per that point of contact for if they're feeling uh, particularly low, if they're struggling with anything, who they know they can turn to and get the right support or be signposted to the right support. It'll just add to their confidence in their learning and their development. I think we've also got to look at, when you look at HMIP, prisons, uh, prisons are gauged on their performance in resettlement, in safety, in security, in those type of factors. But when it comes to staff, there's no marker. I think if staff wellbeing or staff engagement was marked by HMIP, it then becomes a priority for governors where they can have a budget towards it if you invest in staff, if staff are scoring for HMIP's sake at four out of four, then you are going to see better outcomes across the board because they're going to have more energy. They're going to be able to, you're going to have the right number of staff. You're not going to have loads of staff leaving and you will just see better outcomes. This kind of, well, we won't talk about staff struggling. We won't talk about staff leaving. Well, that just means there's more PP for staff to do. Mm. Feeds the problem mm. because as much as, yeah, it's brilliant staff having loads of overtime. That's what I meant by PP uh, is, you know, it sounds brilliant, but, you know, I've known staff who've done 100, 120 hours overtime a month and eventually they burn out and, they lose their engagement and they can be brilliant staff, but you can only put so much effort in and so much work in before. If you don't look after yourself, how are you meant to be passing any help on to anybody else? 
And you see that, don't you? I mean, I we, we talk to kind of middle managers and we talk to governors and, and staff on the ground and the person is, you know, the person at the bottom of their list is normally them. You know, they're so busy trying to support other people. Um, it's, you know, that self-compassion we talk a lot about, I guess, within our work doesn't doesn't happen very, very readily. And I think, like you say, if we could just measure some of that stuff, you know, we started to look at how many people are applying for jobs, for example, promotions. Mm. Tells you a lot about prison, doesn't it? If they think, yeah. you know, if staff feel that they have a chance of the promotion, if they feel it's a fair fair race and it's it's basically not if the face fits you know if they feel that they can take on that challenge then that says something about your your workforce doesn't it but when no one's applying for jobs because they kind of feel it's a done deal because someone's already got lined up for it um that tells you something about the culture and I think if we started measuring some of this stuff around well-being um around whether that's applications for promotions whether that's levels of engagement you know staff are so important you know when, when I did my stuff in Norway they you know I remember one member of staff saying staff are the key to the success you know if we are gonna create rehabilitative cultures our staff are really really important and um you know I guess the more we've invested in them the, the better the outcomes we've seen you know whether that's around reduction of harm whether that's around you know staff retention at the end of our our pilot project was really high um, because people found meaning, they found purpose in their work, and and you know I think that's that's really important. So so yeah, so fantastic advice, and I think you know the the inspectorate are, are regularly reviewing things. I think, and I think um, I think a staff measure would be really really beneficial, and even in terms of you know that extending to governors who generally get kind of forgotten in the staff wellbeing kind of saga of things. So. Um, one thing I wanted to just mention as well is the fact that I think a lot of people are very quick to say staff are the reason for prisons failing and staff get into the job because they want to restrain people uh, they get into the job but don't care a lot of that is just negative tropes that kind of fits the narrative you've got staff who are you know, you've you got understaffing, staff get tired, you will, staff do become desensitised to violence. It doesn't mean they don't care. It's one of the coping mechanisms. A lot of the, a lot of the staff, if, you know, you probably say 90 95% of staff who joined the prison service will, at the start of their career, wanted to make a difference. Anything, any slippage in that has happened because of the, the systems are in place and you know, that, that lack of being able to motivate themselves continuously. And that's why we need to reinvest in them and re reinvigorate them so that they're back to their best. Mm. I don't think many, if any, get into the prison service just because they think it's going to be fun to restrain somebody. Yeah, I agree. So um, you left the prison service. How was that? Uh, joined us, of course, at that PRS. Um, how, yeah, how was it to leave? Because I know from our conversations, it was, you know, transitions can be can be painful. But was it painful for you? What did what did you experience? Uh, I wouldn't say it was painful. It was it was very weird. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever leave the prison service. I never planned to leave the prison service. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was never a time where I particularly hated the work I was doing uh, but the time was right 
obviously most comment was coming to an end and I wouldn't be involved in kind of that rehabilitation work that I was to the level that I was involved in uh, as a rehab culture lead. And then obviously when you said, well, I could probably offer you a job at Penal Reform Solutions, it, it was a good opportunity. It's work that I could do. It It's not leaving the prison service in the sense of I still work in prisons, work with prisons uh, externally. So it's all still around my knowledge base. I don't think I ever could have left for what people would say is like a normal job. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this isn't yeah. normal. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think that would have worked for me. Uh, I, I like working in challenging uh, environments. I like trying to make a difference and that's, that's what we're trying to do here. And it's something new and people will have to get used to it in terms of, you know, the way that we try to promote positivity and your love bombs, which I'm still getting used to. <laughs> oh, that sounds so awful. <laughs> sounds so awful. They're not that terrifying. Just explaining love bombs. Love bombs. <laughs> love bombs are a way in which we kind of raise the energy of a room. So it does sound really, it sounds even worse now that we're saying it out loud, but ultimately it's a kind of group hug. That's that's essentially a love bomb, um, is a group hug. So yeah, I always remember the governor of our pilot prison that we were in. He, um, the guy said, "Do you think we should give him a love bomb?" He was the new, new governing governor, and I was like, "He's not ready for a love bomb." And uh, yeah, they all kind of approached him, and he did look really, really kind of put out. He was just like, "What's going on?" He looked pretty um, apprehensive, but yeah, he he kind of got used to it in the end. But yeah, um, yeah, some things to get used to. How have you found it though? I mean, I appreciate I'm, you know, essentially the director of the company, so it's maybe difficult to, to give me the honest truth. But how have you found the last few months? No, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I was lucky when when I joined. It was in a particularly busy period with lots of projects started, so uh, I've been able to just jump in as a lead on a few of those projects, and it's it, I've been constantly out of establishments which is what I like to be I like to be active so now it's been absolutely brilliant as I say just getting used to the uh, additional writing and analysis side but that will mm. develop and obviously the fact that I can actually use LinkedIn and do podcasts where for seven years none of that would ever have happened so yeah. but now I uh, absolutely loved it and it, it's uh, pushing me which is always good always good growth's uncomfortable so that's that's good to hear keep I'll keep doing that <laughs> <laughs> I won't ever let you settle um yeah we'll just keep doing that and your hopes for the future what do you what do you hope in terms of prisons in terms of the stuff we've talked about in terms of growth what do you what do you hope I hope that establishments uh you know keep a focus on the importance of training uh, I don't want to see it kind of slip away to the point where you know you come in and you give them a set of keys the second day and told to to crack on because I just think you know if retention is struggling now what it would be like in that world it'd be terrifying mm -hmm. I think we need to make sure that staff are supported are well trained and well invested in and I think the more establishments we can go into and help and support through our various causes whether that's a full growth project or you know, 
training days or mental health well-being programs you know all those different things in whichever guise works for establishments i think we can make a, a difference and support establishments in finding that passion and that motivation again yeah yeah let's inject some hope in the words of Shad Maruna. Thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate you talking to us and um, hopefully we'll do some more. We're currently um, working through the team, just talking with them about the things that they're particularly passionate about. So, so yeah, thanks for joining us. And in terms of, if you want any more information, uh, please visit our website on www.penalreformsolutions.com. We've also just set up a community interest company called Grow Transform Belong. And uh, that website is www.growtransformbelong.com. And then if you want to get in touch with Dan, please email him on dan at penalreformsolutions.com or email me, Sarah, at penalreformsolutions.com. So we're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. So just search for us and we will be there. And uh, yeah, we're we're trying hard to make a difference and, and put things into action. So thanks for joining me, Dan. No, thank you. That was, that was not, not too bad for our first podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, I hope the listeners agree. Um, please feel free to review it and uh, speak to you soon. All the best. Bye, Dan. Bye.